Do you ever get discouraged when you think about the vast number of people around the world who've never heard the gospel of Christ? Dick Brogdon reminds us of an encouraging biblical truth. We do have the promise that members of every tribe, tongue, nation will be around the throne. So my job is just to go find them. I have a high view of the sovereignty of God. I believe that God is calling out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I just want to go find them. But I'm sobered that that is hard work. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we have a great privilege this week in our studio with Dick Brogdon. Dick is the founder of a ministry organization called Live Dead. He's also the author of a book called Live Dead Joy, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that in the course of this conversation. Uh, Dick, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you. Let's talk about Live Dead. For some of our listeners, they've never heard of it. Uh, what do they need to know about Live Dead to understand your ministry and understand what you do? Sure. The non-negotiables of Live Dead are that we're going to plant churches amongst unreached people groups through multinational teams. And so our heart is to see where the gospel is not gone and to work together with the body of Christ to make disciples and plant churches that plant churches that plant churches amongst <laughs> unreached people groups. And how many of those teams are out there now? I was looking at your website, some some places where Voice of the Martyrs is involved, also places where you have teams. Yeah, absolutely. We have about eight different zones. We have lived dead teams in Africa. We have them in the Arab world. We have them in Central Asia. We have them in Russia. We have them in Israel and Palestine. We have them in India. We have them in China, Iran. And so we're about 60 teams now uh, scattered across those different eight zones. And how much of those teams are comprised of American believers who have gone out, and how much of them are believers from other places in the world or even from the home country? The majority of them have some type of integration because that's very central to our heart. We might have the odd team that is still all American, but that's very rare. We have Latinos, we have Africans, we have Arabs, we have Indians, we have Asians and uh, Russian team members. So it's really exciting. We want to see more of that, asking the Lord to increase that. But almost all of our teams are integrated, multicultural. Sort of sounds like the body of Christ. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's the intent. Live Dead talks about, has kind of three theme words. Mm -hmm. And the first one is abiding. Mm -hmm. When we think about missionaries, or gospel workers, we think about evangelism, or we think about, well, I've got to go. You start with abiding, and I think that's very significant. Talk to me about why that is and, and what that means. So I've been a missionary for about 25 years, and similar to church planting or other growth factors here in the West and abroad, about every five years there's a new book, a new seminar, and everybody gets all excited about it. <laughs> and after a while, you kind of get burned out. That If I just do these 10 things, I'll see disciples made and a church planting movement started. So years ago, I began to reflect, what, what did Jesus do and what does the scripture say? And trying to go back to just the heart of it all. And we were led to John 15 as kind of our foundational text where Jesus said very simply, if you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. 
And that word is karpos in the Greek, which is referring to that which is harvested. Different than the fruit of the Spirit, which is true. But if we spend a lot of time with Jesus, he says we'll make disciples, and those disciples will abide. They'll remain. So taking that as a foundation, we're not against any of these other church planning principles. We want to incorporate whatever tools that are necessary, contextualize those. But we want ground zero to be we spend a lot of time with Jesus. We're intimate with him. And we rest on his promise that if we'll do that, He'll bring in disciples. He'll bring in that fruit. So it kind of starts from that biblical conviction matched up against the weariness of all the different methods that we kind of cycle through globally and saying, yes, let's be wise. Let's be good stewards. But at the heart of it, we want to be intimate with Jesus. And from that beautiful partnership where he is the lead power, we see disciples made. Do you think that is hard for Americans we tend to be a very action-oriented culture and a very, well, I've got to do, and like you say, I've got my list of 10 things and this is what I'm going to do, or I need to you know, read X number of verses every day. Is it hard for us to have that sense of starting out with, I need to just spend time with God? It is. It's very difficult because we're kind of a bottom-line culture. We want to see bang for a buck. And even in missions, there's pressure because you'll get questions about how many people did you lead to the Lord, how many churches, how many generations, all these different things. And so whether from within or without, there's this pressure to produce. Now, beautifully, if we do abide in Jesus, we have this guarantee that he will take care of those results. So it's actually very wise to do. I have found, however, though, that it can't just be sheer discipline. It has to actually start in desperation. So I talk about four Ds or think in terms of four Ds when it comes to abiding. And the first one is to be desperate, that we just realize we can't tie our shoes without Jesus helping us, (laughs) much less make a disciple or see a church planted. So desperate for the Lord's help in that sense of empowerment, but also desperate for the Lord's presence because we are so disenfranchised with ourselves and our own liabilities. So from that desperation, You do need the discipline aspect. You know, it's not every day that the heavens open and the scriptures sing. Sometimes you're just slogging through and being obedient and positioning yourself under God's authority. So the discipline component. But if you're desperate and you're disciplined, what I find in my own personal life is then I have a desire. And and it's not about watching your clock. You know, legalism is demonic in whatever form it comes. So it's not about this mandated time that becomes almost like a, a negative thing, but it, it this desire grows for more of Jesus, more of his presence, more of his word, more of his spirit, and then you get into delight. So it, it, when I'm in those progressions, if I'm desperate and disciplined, the desire to spend more time with Jesus comes, and out of that flows the delight of being with Jesus, and then that's contagious, and people can sense that and feel that, and it impacts your teaching, your preaching, your discipling, whatever that you do. How would you advise an American Christian who's hearing this and says, yeah, man, I need to do more abiding. What are some first steps for them as you talk about those those four Ds? Yeah, I wouldn't uh, encourage any type of spiritual steroids or truncating of the process. <laughs> you know, you don't start bench pressing 400 pounds the first day. So spiritual muscles are very similar to physical muscles, and you need to be able to consistently develop them. So when you look at timing, I think you set modest goals, and you do that for a while, and you start to increase. From the components as far as content, the heart of it needs to be reading the Bible and prayer time. 
Now, other people do different things. Some people journal. Some people use these adult coloring books. Some people like listening to worship music. I had one lady, a friend of mine, and she said, I like to shake the egg. I was like, what? So these little percussion eggs that you shake. So oh, she yeah, listened okay. to worship music. She'd shake the egg. So fine, if that's what rocks your boat. But those are all supplemental. The heart of it would be read your Bible, pray, and expand that time. So I would say if you're starting out, read a chapter a day and pray five minutes a day. If that's if you've done nothing else. And then increase that to two chapters a day in 10 minutes. And then three chapters a day in 15 minutes. Kind of as a, a goal to set, and again, as I said earlier, avoiding legalism, most American Christians would not have a problem with the concept of tithing their money. And we would all recognize that 100% of what we have belongs to God, and we return a portion of that to him as a sign of his lordship, that he owns everything. Well, our time is a much more precious resource than our money. It's not renewable. And every moment belongs to Jesus. So as a goal, we try and say, let's tithe our time as an indicator that God owns it all. And we're returning to him a portion of what's his and trusting him to bless what remains. So that's kind of the goal we set out there for our missionary personnel and for ourselves. We, we don't have any problem saying tithing is legalistic, right? So let's not have that same kind of accusation about tithing our time. Let's just say Jesus is so precious, so magnificent. We're going to give him the best of our time and believe him that he'll use the, the other portions in the way that he needs. Now, if that's going to work, the next critical point to answer your question is something's got to go. You right. can't, can't watch a lot of TV or spend a lot of time on social media or waste a lot of time or be lazy and, and tithe your time to Jesus. So some of it is as much about what you say no to as what you say yes to, what time you go to bed, what time you get up, and what you cut out of your life so that you can rather lavish that on the Lord. That's great advice. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Dick Brogdon. He is the founder of an organization called Live Dead, and we will connect you with them, as well as with his book, Live Dead Joy, when you visit us online at vomradio.net. Dick, you said in our VOM chapel service this morning that missions is a call to a 90% failure rate. That doesn't sound very exciting. Sure. <laughs> That's not a good marketing message. Right. But ex- kind of unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah. So I love Isaiah 6, as most of us do, and most of us kind of revel in those first verses, the vision of the Lord, the coal cleansing our lips, who will go, here I am, send me. And we kind of stop there. Most preaching, if you've heard an Isaiah 6 sermon, will end at about verse 9. Well, the interesting thing is that the rest of the chapter expounds what happens after the here I am, send me. Nobody listens. There's no response. There's no repentance. The people go into exile. The judgment of God falls. You know, it's kind of sobering. And then in the case of that, there says, but the seed will be in the stump and a tithe will be brought back to the line. So in that, I take kind of arbitrarily a 90% fail rate in the sense that Yes, we need to say yes to the Lord. We need to respond to his call to missions. But we need to bear in mind that many people will not listen. And why does the road that leads to destruction narrow the road that leads to life? And we can't be discouraged when we're widely sowing the gospel and we're talking about Jesus and people are not interested. When I first went as a missionary in 1992 to Mauritania, I kind of had bought into this. Well, they don't believe because they haven't heard. 
And then you go through, well, they don't believe because they haven't heard in their heart language. And then you get to, well, they don't believe because they haven't heard in their heart language in a contextualized approach. And you go through all of those permutations, <laughs> and they still don't believe. They still don't believe. <laughs> you know, or many don't. Yeah. And so you, you come back to this sobering reality that the God of this age has veiled their minds and blinded them in all of these different bondages. This is not to be a pessimist because we do have the promise that members of every tribe, tongue, nation will be around the throne. So my job is just to go find them. I have a high view of the sovereignty of God. I believe that God is calling out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I just want to go find them. But I'm sobered that that is hard work. And most of the people that I reach out to are going to reject me. It doesn't discourage me. It propels me to find that 10% or whatever that number is. God alone knows. But to find those few who are on that road seeking Jesus, wanting to know more about him. They're out there. I just got to go find them and not be dismayed by the, the many rejections I'll get along the way. You know, as you say that, just uh, a few weeks back here on VOM Radio, we had Nick and Ruth Ripkin. And, sure. and Nick talks about, you know, be, Jesus sent us out as sheep among wolves. Right. Well, that that's not a success recipe, you yep. know, going out as sheep among the wolves. Does that failure rate mean there's going to be persecution? It absolutely requires it. You know, I don't know how... We have become so blinded to it, but it has been granted to us, the scripture says, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in his name, but to suffer for his name. In that regard, the the shock of scripture is that persecution is actually a gift. It's not something to be avoided, but it's been granted to us. It's been something that we can enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, which is magnificent spiritual territory, but we fear to tread there. And yet, within that, for those who've walked ahead of us, there's such a joy and there's such an intimacy when we share that experience with Christ. And out of it can come blessing. And I say can because not all persecution makes us better. Some people it makes bitter. Some people don't respond well to that. So I don't know if there's an X factor in Christian life or missionary service, but one thing that I have noticed is that men and women who have theologically determined, not experientially or emotionally, but theologically determined that God is sovereignly good in all that he allows and all that he ordains, they're unshakable. And why I say theologically, not experientially, if your experience has been prosperity and blessing and goodness, and that's your view of God, and then you encounter a God who allows suffering through his hands to hurt you, that can rock your world. But if you've already determined, no matter what your experience has been or will be, that God is sovereignly good, then anything that happens to you, you're, you're unfazed by it. It doesn't mean it's not painful, you don't struggle, but you don't doubt this, the sovereign goodness of God. And so I think in, in our context, if we can theologically settle that, then we can embrace whatever the cost is because it is fixed. Where the gospel goes forward, there is going to be resistance. There is the guarantee, even from our Lord, of trouble. And I think Maybe you've somewhat answered this in that description, but as you send out your teams, you're sending them to places where Christians are persecuted. How do you prepare them? Is there more to it than that theological background to prepare them mentally and spiritually? Yes, you might go to prison. Yes, a member of your team might be killed. Yes, actually, you might be killed. How do you get people ready to go into the settings where you're sending them with that uh, readiness that suffering could come? 
Excellent question. So the reason that we call this ministry Live Dead was because we were expecting some of this difficulty, persecution, prison suffering. And we have colleagues, in fact, right now who are in, in prison, and we were praying for them. But what we realized was that while there are martyrdoms and prison experiences, that hasn't so far, though it will increase, hasn't been the common experience of our workers in difficult contexts. What happened was more trouble came from relational conflict within or children having troubles, whether in their sexual orientation or uh, their belief in God or marriages falling apart or immorality. There was all these kind of backdoor attacks. So we kind of called it Live Dead because we expected a frontal attack, and that has come in some degree. We've taken more casualties from those who did not live the crucified life in their daily application of it before they got to the moment of duress. And because they were not saying no to the flesh day in, day out, they at some point said yes to the flesh and the devil got in and wrecked havoc in their personal lives or within teams. So to answer your question, it's actually not dramatic. If we can die well daily, that on a continual basis, prepares us for moments of duress. But if we don't live the crucified life on a daily basis within our families, our teams, our local believer relationships, those contexts, then under duress, we we falter. So how do we prepare people for prison, for death? It's actually surprisingly simple. We have to help each other die daily and pick up that cross on a a normal basis, on on the non-dramatic things. And if we do that faithfully, there is this dispensation of grace that comes in 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 the more dramatic moments where God carries us through. Uh, Let's talk about some stories, because you have seen some really amazing God-breaking-out moments uh, among your workers. Can you share a a couple of those stories of of where you've just seen God really kind of almost mind-blowingly Uh, advance his kingdom through the staff that you send out? Yeah. And, you know, it's wonderful. We we have friends in Libya, and Libya, you know, is war-torn, and in Tripoli, three governments and multiple militias, and you don't know who's shooting who at at some point, you know. (laughs) And yet God is moving in Libya in ways that are unprecedented. There have been more people come to faith in Libya probably in the last few years than maybe 14 centuries combined. Wow as far as, as what God is doing. And so one of our one of our team members was visiting with a, a neighbor and they were fundamentalist and angry and threatening and, you know, we're going to hurt your children and you're going to hell and some of these things. And some of the ladies were very vocal in this. One lady in particular was very, very harsh. So she's dealing with not only what her ideology presents, but also her own bitterness about life. Well, they left her a, a gospel to read and she surprisingly took it and hid it under her pillow so that her family wouldn't see it, and she began to read this gospel. They went back a couple weeks to visit her, and her demeanor had completely changed from this angry, hostile. She was smiling, she was glowing, she was open, and she said, I've been reading your book, and it has changed my life. And it was a gospel portion. It wasn't the whole New Testament. It was just one of the gospels. And so our staff member said, Our team member said, well, would you like to read more? And this Libyan Muslim says, there's more? (laughs) 
<laughs> and we said, absolutely. As a of fact, yeah, yes. There's a whole lot more. So, <laughs> and so uh, a couple of days later, our team member was hosting a, a tea where they were going to share the gospel in Arabic and hand out some materials to their friends. And she invited this lady to, to come. So picture this, uh, a woman in Libya completely veiled in black from top to bottom because she's, she's a conservative. So hungry for the more. She crawled down the street on her hands and knees, crawled up three flights of stairs to the apartment where our team members are because she was hungry for the more of the gospel. So that's just a small indicator of hunger that is in the hearts of those who have been deceived by what is false and are longing for liberation, that they will even crawl up stairs, still bound but hungry for what Jesus can do to set them free. Amazing. Is that hunger common in the Muslim world? I think our perception or, or many perception in the American church is, well, Muslims are really closed off to the gospel, and a lot of them are militant, and, and they're angry. And But you see that hunger. Is that common? It is increasing. I think we have never lived in a day like we have now, whether that's in the West or in the major religions of the world where there is a growing dissatisfaction with what is espoused and what is propagated, and there is a growing hunger for what is real. So some of these disturbances have really helped people. For example, in Iran, you've, you've maybe heard it said that perhaps the best missionary to Iran was the Ayatollah Khomeini <laughs> because he demonstrated uh, something that repelled people. And so all of these Iranians began to ask questions and look in other directions, and many of those have found Jesus. Well, the same has happened because of the rise of militant Islam in the Arab world in these last four or five years. It has exposed something that is very ugly, and it has, it has positioned Muslims from across the Arab world to ask questions and to look for something that is beautiful. Now, we are seeing more and more, but not nearly enough. You know, we're still praying as far as the, the great numbers of those who don't know Jesus in his reality. So we are praying for more missionaries. Jesus did give us that command to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send, to, to thrust out laborers. So we need more people to represent Jesus, to encounter those who are hungry. And in that relational encounter and that faithful propagation of the gospel, we're going to see many, many people come to Jesus. That's Dick Brogdon, the founder of an organization called Live Dead. And he's also the author of a book called Live Dead Joy. When you visit our website, vomradio.net, we'll provide a link so that you can order a copy of Dick's book. That's also where to go if you missed any part of our conversation. You can hear this episode and all our previous episodes at vomradio.net or listen to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We had to cut in partway through our conversation. Next week, we're going to listen to part two of our conversation. Here's some of what you'll hear from Dick Brogdon next week on VOM Radio. So we've been in the Arab world for 25 years now and been just a joy in Mauritania, Sudan, which we absolutely love, the people, and in Egypt, which is called in Arabic, Umadunya, which means the mother of the world, you know, so that's how Egyptians gladly look at their country and we rejoice with them. But as I look at the world today and the challenges they're in, 
I see that the emotional and spiritual center of the Arab world is the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which is going through profound change. And we need to pray for Saudi Arabia because it is very influential with its uh, geographical location, with the location of Mecca and Medina, the holy sites of Islam, with oil wealth, with what's going on with Iran and some of these proxy wars that are being fought in the Middle East. It's very politically, economically, spiritually important. So we have a great burden for Saudi Arabia, and we want, with all due respect and actually all due candor, to be able to serve there as God opens the doors. I don't believe that our job is ever to be duplicitous or to be tricky. We are messengers of truth and messengers of light. And so what we would like to do is to see if there's a possibility with respectful application to the the authorities to be a pastor located in Saudi Arabia Helping those, there are, you know, 33% of Saudi Arabia are Filipinos or Nigerians or Kenyans or diverse nationalities who are serving there. And some of those are Christians and followers of Jesus. So what we would like to do is to actually get official permission to go in and serve that Christian community as pastors. And then to help all of those Christians know that we're not just about blessing ourselves or keeping the gospel to ourselves. So please be back right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.